Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Always great to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. And today we celebrate the life of a man whose life has been in football. At various incarnations, he was a senior coach, he's played the game at various levels and he is regarded as one of the great teaching coaches that we've seen in recent times. And I'm happy to say he's in the studio, Brendan McCartney. Macca, welcome. Thanks, Pete. Nice to see you somewhere apart from a plane, mate, yeah, because tend- that seems to be where we bump into each other a lot. Tends to be that. And once you get on, you're captive, and uh, that's part of the industry, isn't it? Part of the great thing in footy, really. It takes you all around Australia to different venues, and you meet some terrific people. Yeah, it is part of the job. But the one thing that I notice when you're on planes, not only with you, but the other assistant coaches that I've seen, the laptop comes out, you're working, you know, you're coming back from a long day at the footy, you might be on a, a flight that lasts a few hours from Perth or an hour from Sydney, but the work almost never stops. Yeah, I think I probably was part of that train uh, as a young coach where you just had a young family and you it was quite incessant, you just had to stay ahead of the pack. Uh, as I've got older, I, I probably did it less. I'd use some time after a game to reflect a little bit emotionally about what happened and go looking for the right things rather than everything. And the art to reviewing a game is not to over-edit it, but get the get the right information. And, and then the next part of the puzzle is to portray it the right way to the players and get them to come up with their own sort of understanding of it. And that's that's the best learning I've found. You and I, Mac, are of a similar vintage. So there is an age gap between us and the people who are playing the game now. Is that a difficult thing for a coach when you do have that age disconnect to be able to identify with some of the younger players coming up through the ranks who might be up to 35, 40 years younger than you in some cases? At times. It is a changing generation, but it's a, it's a good thing. It's it's just the way it is, and young people have got the world at their feet. Uh, they've got so much access to resources we didn't have, and, and we had it in compared to our forebearers too, that our old elders as, as children. And I remember them saying to us, you know, you get it good, you kids now, and as we're walking 5K to school and milking cows before we went to school in cold mornings or doing a paper round or walking greyhounds or doing all of it, you know, and then a paper round after work and then get to footy training. But life is a bit easier in some ways, but it's more difficult in other ways and understanding that there's probably more scrutiny. There's um, much higher awareness around mental health and mental strategy and well-being and, and, and generally feeling good. So I, I get all that and understand all that. But uh, one of the beauties of working in... In footy clubs, is the the youngsters keep you keep you young. You know, you're still 58 like I was at the end, but you, a lot of their music resonates with you, and their speech and 
they're buoyancy and they're and they're generally pretty optimistic and bubbly. So that that sort of helps as well. But you know, it is I've always wandered through life and tried to you know mould myself without you know moving away from your true self to be the person you need to be to the people around you. And sometimes I've got it pretty right, and other times. Yeah, not so right. One thing you said before, Macca, at the age of 58, at the end, you said. Is it the end? At club level, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it is. I I probably knew about 18 months ago, to be honest, that, yeah, wanting to do some different things. Uh, it's a demanding industry. It's a great industry, It's but it is demanding and it's it's all-consuming. And I, and I sit back and I think, well, you know, there's a lot of weekends that have gone that you haven't really been able to participate in. And I... I have a, a real passion to help coaches almost like I was 30 years ago where resource them and be there for them either with ideas or a sounding board or a drill or two or help them set their clubs up. So I've sort of moved into that space a little bit and, and coupled with uh, I, the other passion is I think we have the capacity and the resources in this industry and we should build a junior program that young people and coaches can get online and and work out how to win a ball like Joel Selwood does or or control the area to stoppage like Bontempelli does or or take a Jack Rewald type mark where he you know works his opponent out of the ball and understand how to play their position and, and I think the closer we get to that, the the better the game will be. And I've always believed that the game belongs to the players and the fans, that first and foremost. But often the the future of the game rests with coaches and uh, and that can be a positive or a, or a not so positive thing. Sometimes depends on how they do their jobs and what they what they're about. But junior coaches, in particular, to my way of thinking, are shaping what footy can possibly look like in in fifteen twenty years. And uh, all around Australia, there are mums and dads who are coaching the next star female player and you know AFL champion. So it's important, and I think we we should think about moving towards that. But in the meantime, I'll just away with a really good friend Susie Robinson and we'll, we'll build some junior programs and mentor some country coaches and um, get a little footy school up and running in, in Geelong after school thing which hopefully will morph into some coaching classes for regional coaches and, and junior coaches where it's not a level one or two, it's just pure footy where they learn about the contest, how to teach it, the drills, little knickknacks of how to feed the ball in, where to feed it in, how to get the drill alive and going. It's almost like starting a fire sometimes, a drill. You've sort of got to tinker with it to get the results you want. And, and that's that's learnt through experience, you know, getting it wrong a few times and getting it right a few times. And uh, and probably, hopefully, send them away with an understanding of what to teach and, and how to teach it. And then they become their own coach, uh, whether it's a junior level or senior level. And and I might have ended up in your world, you know, doing a bit of newspaper writing. And so I'm sort of really enjoying being able to do different things. Um, and hopefully the business just potters away and provides a living and, and a bit of fun. So is the business in the embryonic stages now, Macca? If yeah. someone wants to get involved in it, is it at the stage where they can get involved now or is that sometime down the track? No, it's the- now. It's playercoach.com.au and... Uh, a little website that's just up and running. It's information only, and and we don't want to be grand or too big. It's it's um, offer a service that's quite hands on, and and for me, part of it will be uh, on the field with the coaches, actually helping them um, teach drills, and hopefully leave a club in a good place where the coaches there at present 
can then train the next group of coaches up and then all of a sudden you've got a junior club that's healthy and and with a, that long-term ambition to help the AFL in some way, you know, put a program together that really grows our game and sort of sets us apart from from other codes where coaches and young people can click on anything and, and learn anything because that's what we do now, don't we, when we're not mm. sure we hit a computer screen and, and there's the information. But Did you ever get to the stage in that 18 months that you spoke about, you thought that it was probably coming to an end? Did you ever get to the stage, because I know how much you love footy, but did that experience make it a bit of a test for you or was it always a joy? It found it harder to find the really bubbly bits of the week. So it, it got to the stage, it's almost like playing where the, the real joy in the week was training and the game day, the meetings and, and other things. And, and I think it, I was talking to a couple of older guys as they finished their playing careers, long-term players, and that was the same for them. You know, when training, no problem, game day, brilliant. But the ice baths and recovery mm. and activation and, and all the little things which are critical, by the way. And people probably scoff at that sometimes, Pete, that you know, there's too much. But it, the whole week is linked into Saturday or Friday, Saturday or Sunday. And then you you resume the process on a Monday. And, and you can't leave blocks out because it's not fair to the players with their either recovery or preparation for the next the next contest because game day now at AFL level, and I urge people next season when footy rolls around again that they go and watch footy at ground level, sit one or two or three rows back and preferably near the interchange bench if they can, which is not always possible, and just see what the game does to the players out on the field. It's, it's a brutal two hours now. Inevitably, Macca, people outside the football club think that they know what's going on. And so the stories will spread that you and Goody didn't get on, that you were blueing. Mm. Are they incorrect? This is the forum that you've got to say whether oh, they were yeah. rubbish or oh, not. Gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually gave uh, Johnny Ralph. I've never rung anyone in the media. It's, it's something I rarely do. Well, I've never, I've never done. So I rang Ralphie and, and I was pretty volatile, hostile with him uh, about what he'd written. I said, that's just wrong. People are free to have an opinion of me or people within the game because you are public property. And you know that. You learn that very early. I remember Justin Charles telling me, saying to me when I started at Richmond in 1996, welcome to the goldfish bowl. When you work at Richmond and you're losing some games, it, it resonates with you pretty quickly that it, you are in a goldfish bowl. So I was aware of that. And I said to Ralphie, you know, look, come on, mate. It's, it's, it's not true. You know, it, it's not, not the way it is. And in, in fact, key to me was that it was reflective of Simon and the club. I didn't want that. You know, people can say what they want about me, but you know, I'll, Simon's like a little brother to me. You know, we, we get on brilliantly well. Love the five years with him. He's a, he's a one, a great human being and two, a fabulous young coach. And we had a great time. And, um, you know, when we see each other now, there's always a hug and a handshake, no animosity. It was, you know, and I'm really looking forward to, you know, if I can help him in some small way in the next couple of years, and I probably will behind the scenes, you know, potter away and work on a few little chores for him. That no one will be happier to see him coach a premiership than I. He, uh, he's a beauty. So, nah, I guess if I had to come up with two words, Pete, it's bull dust. You're allowed to say that, aren't you? You can say bullshit if you want to. Yeah, it's absolute bullshit. And but it's the industry, you know. I, where it came from, I don't know. Was that constant speculation, that constant being in the microscope and in the goldfish bowl, as you said, was that another thing that lessened your enjoyment? The fact that stories can get out that you say are blatantly not true. Yeah. Did that just chip away at you towards the end? Maybe. It's maybe a combination of things. It was probably that one I spoke about before, the you know the, the time demands. But I, in my time, I, 
a lot of people stop and say hello about footy and they, they remember your time at Richmond or the year I was at Essendon or your time at the Bulldogs or Geelong or Melbourne or even back in the bush. And I love that. And people by and large are very respectful. They understand that they're possibly, you know, stepping into your time if you're with your family or friends or whatever it might be or your children. And, uh, and I, I still love when people stop and talk about footy and ask questions. It's, it's enjoyable and there's learning in everyone. You know, I've always believed everyone you meet, you can learn something either the way they carry themselves or, or how they describe situations or the level of respect they have for, for others is, is learning everywhere. So I enjoy that. The, the media part of it, I could take or leave at times, um, have huge respect for people who work in the media industry because it's a, it's a competitive business just like the field is. You know, there's a lot of people trying to get the, the best story, the first story, and and I get that and I understand the, the need for presenting views and opinion pieces and um, uh, probably the uh, – if I cut to the nitty of it, the one thing I've probably never wrestled well with is when we go after people when they're having a rough patch or they're down. And, and history shows um, – Leon Cameron and GWS, you know, five or six weeks ago, Wayne Campbell being heavily criticised, Damien Hardwick three years ago, Nathan Buckley, uh, in my time at Geelong, everyone in Australia wanted to stone bomber for our lack of perceived success and inconsistency and immaturity. And in, in essence, often the team just isn't ready. It's, it's not quite mentally mature enough or physically mature enough or all the variables aren't lined up and sometimes you only need another six months for it all to calm down and, and GWS are a remarkable story from where they were, you know, they had, but they had half a team missing and all mm. of a sudden that was Leon's responsibility. So when, when we go after people, I've, it's never sat, sat well with me on the field and off the field. I, I don't like that much. Can I ask you one last thing about 2019 maker and your time at Melbourne? The $64,000 question is what happened after 2018? Mm. I think the second half against Geelong in the first final, there was still some, inconsistencies in our game that appeared that night. The Hawthorne game, to be perfectly frank, I thought we were fortunate to get away with a win. They made some some mistakes in front of their goal that you just don't see in footy at this level. Uh, then we, we found a couple of goals. Jake Melksham and Tommy McDonald kicked a couple of solid goals at the end and, and we skipped away. But I remember thinking and looking around the room after the game, there was a euphoria everywhere because we were in a prelim final and there was this... Uh, premonition building that it was going to be a bit like Richmond the year before and the dogs the year before mm. and momentum. But gut feel for me was the players were cooked. Uh, they'd had to work so hard to get in the finals because I think people forget two weeks out, we had to win in Perth to, to make it mm. and, or then rely on winning the last game. And that was going to bring back some bygone things that might've just you know, choked the players and been too hard for them. So they did a mighty job to win that round 22 game. I think it was on a Sunday afternoon, but for all that, uh, Kennedy didn't play and Darling went down early and they rarely win. I don't think they ever win when those two guys aren't playing. So that helped us as good as we were. Uh, so I think leading into that prelim, we were in trouble. And How do you keep that from the players? If, if that's the thought in your mind, how do you remain positive and present the positive message and the, the affirmation to the players in the week leading up to that game then? Oh, you've got to do it, you know, and... Part of here is, you know, we're, we're a week away from a potential grand final. Did I think we were ready for 
a game of that magnitude because I thought last year, this is 2018, the best footy I saw played by anyone was West Coast, then Collingwood, then Richmond. And then I think there was about four of us that on any given day were very similar. It was us, there was Hawthorne, there was Geelong. Um, so GWS, there was a, a bit of a band of us. But the best three teams, I thought, were clearly those three teams, in particular Collingwood and West Coast, and that's how it, that's how the situation played out. So, but you still go, well, it's a game of footy, and it's uh, and it's an opportunity. But I, I remember the Sunday we won, um, round twenty two. The, the crowd was asleep. It was a beautiful Perth Sunday afternoon. I think they thought it was just going to be lamb to the slaughter because mm. we'd we'd been pretty average for a couple of weeks, and then we jumped them and and won, hung on and won. They weren't asleep prelim final day the, the crowd was alive and, and uh, the noise when that place when they were hungry and they, they wanted blood and when when they ran out I went and I, I looked at some of ours out on the ground with Goody with them and uh, a couple of the young guys looked and heard the noise and they looked around and, and I thought oh, oh there's yeah. some problems so, it's louder than the MCG that place I very think. much so that day uh, I couldn't hear Simon in the coach's box because yeah. the sound was reverberating around the, the fence and the dugout probably shouldn't go through one ear and out the other but in my <laughs> case it's pretty easy because it's not much in the middle but uh, uh, I did that day but you know we dealt with it we didn't overplay it I, I think there was reality with the coaching group that where we were at and we still had some work to do but probably the biggest challenge was just how many surgeries and injuries off-season injuries we had Anybody listening to you, Macca, over the last few minutes or even any time throughout your career can find the understanding that you have of the game, the love you have of the game. We'll take a break and we'll come back and find out where that all started for Brendan McCartney when we come back on the other side of the break. This is your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. More with Macca coming up in a moment. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Brendan McCartney on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Macker, I mentioned before the break, I could hear the passion coming out in you. Every time you talk footy, we can hear the passion. Where did that passion begin as a young fella? Uh, well, I was born and bred in a little place called Nyer, uh, which is uh, Aboriginal for Bend in the River. Big harness racing town used to be Nyer in, yeah. in the old days. They've moved the track into Swan Hill. Yeah. The track's still there around the footy ground. And my dad, Graham, was the first president. So him and uh, Bill Rose, which was who was uh, Bob Rose's and Kevin Rose's younger brother, a great mate. So they were the first president and secretary. And I think I can say this. I, I remember going down to the – it used to be called the Rec, where the footy ground was, the Recreation Reserve, and uh, standing in the back of Dad's ute, and they were blowing up 200 – 150, 200-year-old gum trees with jelly night. There was no safety protocols. And you'd say, Dad would say, here we go. And they'd push the you know, the lever down and this tree would go exploding up into the air. It was, it was super fun. And uh, the, the trots, when you're a country kid, a night at the trots was like Christmas. Mm. People came to town. Uh, you could sneak around behind people and they put their soft drinks down. It was five cents a bottle. So there was your pocket money for, you know, the next till the trots were on next time. And... You know, I, I don't know how often I was at the footy club, but it was probably every spare minute I had, you know, where I still remember the sawdust on the floor and uh, the barrel on a Sunday morning where the raffle tickets would go inside the glass, and which I don't know how healthy that was, but that's that's what they did. <laughs> um, and kicking footies with what who were your childhood heroes? You know, Chesty Coburn was... I still run into Chesty a little bit. 
and his son Rick is doing great work with the AFL in the in the coaching network. He, he's a beauty, and on his way through the through a really good career. And Chesty was my favourite. My dad played there. My uncle Billy, Uncle Doc, um, who's now left us. Uncle Kerry. In fact, five of them played one game together. Uh, Kerry, Bernie, Doc, Billy, and my dad Graham, uh, which was. I've still got the, my sister's got the photo somewhere. I should get a copy. So footy at Nile was, you know, everything we had. And then if you played at Tullybuck or Ultimer or Swan Hill, or we all got in the car and mum made sandwiches and off we went. And you didn't really see your mum and dad again until five o'clock at night. Or And then if it was a longer trip, well, um, they'd head into the pub for an hour to, and you'd be out the front kicking footies with your, with your mates. So... It was good. It was a it was a good life, and probably, uh, you know, that's how it probably does end up in your blood. You know, the, just the closeness of it and the involvement in it. And um, and, I, and I think when we moved to Geelong, I had a couple of great junior coaches, uh, Laurie Henry, who's Glenn Henry's dad was Glenn Henry's dad. Glenn ran for Australia and great marathon and a, a lovely bloke, and, and Johnny Smith, who's who's since deceased, and and they sort of. Um, I don't know, and I'll get back to that in a minute, but I, I find myself often when I talk to people around leadership or coaching or management, and I get them to jot down what what were the qualities of the best coaches or managers or leaders they've ever had, and they, they usually come to mind pretty quickly for them. And when I did the same thing on Laurie and John, uh, care came up, and they had a, a love of my development and wanted the best for me and they were hard honest you know they were firm and but fair but you knew they were there for you and supported you and, and in the end that's what coaching's about we, we all look differently sound sound a little bit different we've got different philosophies we look at the game differently but that's generally the thing that underpins really good managers and, and leaders and coaches and I believe that goes across every sphere of, of occupation it's not just footy and coaching it's it's life so I, I was probably fortunate and then uh, as I progressed through junior footy into senior footy at Newtown uh, some older senior players were just fabulous they looked after you they made sure that if you got a clip over you in a game that you didn't get another one that they sorted it out that if you were struggling for a kick they'd give you the ball uh, you know they'd, they'd drive you home if you had too many beers which was usually by about eight o'clock on a Saturday <laughs> night when you're 17 or 18 because you didn't know what you were doing so they were just there for you and, and that the sort of fellowship and guardianship that, that footy clubs have, and that's always rung true with me. It's what I like to do for other people, and and maybe it was because that was provided to me as a as a youngster, and and that often helps frame you and develop you and bring out your qualities. and And I probably the if I go back to Nair, just the sense of community when the footy club played, it was the town, mm-hmm. which is. When I think back through all my coaching, my time at Ocean Grove, I, the thing I loved, and I'm back giving them a bit of a hand, you know, in the next couple of years to get back up where they want to be with their juniors and a new senior coach, is that it was the town we played for Ocean Grove. You know, the, the young blokes that I coached down there for five wonderful years knew they were playing for the community and representing the town, and it's it's fabulous. That's what makes country footy great, I think. Just before we get onto the coaching thing, what was your best achievement as a pro runner? 
Uh, I ran second at Stall twice in the mile and, and two in mile. In the Herb Hiedemann or No, no, that was the real the back one. Mar- yeah, uh, the, the front markers. I don't know. No, it might have been middle markers, I think. Mm. Uh, I never got great handicaps. but uh, And then the next year, Fitzy said, well, we just, right, oh boy, we'll try and win a couple of races. I had a little patch where I won five or six races. And for people who understand pro running, that, that puts a fair hole in your handicap. So instead of being in the race, you're, you're at the back of the race and you've got to get around. 60 or 70 runners. Did you ever work creatively with your handicaps as some of the pro runners <laughs> tend to do? No, 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 not like the greyhounds back in the day where they used to feed them a litre of water or a meat pie <laughs> on the way to the track and um, dull their appetite to, to run. But no, I don't think I was ever good enough. But my brother was a really good runner. So I lived in his shadow a little bit. He was, he was an elite runner. Yeah, he, um, he ran the third or fourth in the city to surf once. There was 40,000 people in it. So. Him and I were, were good mates, and he used to tow me along, and, and it, it was good fun. It was the fittest I've ever been, but you know, footy was still there. I missed it. So, how did the coaching bug first bite you? Uh, I started to coach the school team at Chanel College in Geelong, and I enjoyed it. We had, we had a game at the old St Peter's Oval, which they don't play there anymore, which is right next to the Western Cemetery in Geelong, and St Joey's play next door, and they've been a powerhouse in the GFL for the last five or six years. And we played Assumption. So uh, I had a, a team, about eight or nine of them played footy, but the rest were soccer players and basketball. So it was quite an eclectic school. And we beat them. Um, we, and I, when I think back, we, we were a couple of goals up and it woke them up. Uh, Ray Carroll's their coach, and I could hear him yelling at them at three-quarter time. And they had a bit of a history then. They used to sing, the do their um, war cry at three-quarter time to rev themselves up. So I revved the Chanel boys up and we hung on. And I think by the end of the game, we had 18 blokes in their forward line and the ball was, it was a wet day, one umpire and the old boy, he just didn't pay any free kicks. So we sort of just locked it up in the windy back pocket and, and it stayed there for 10 minutes. I don't know how we won the game, but we did. And, and it was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. And then I went back and um, coached the reserves at Newtown in 1989, I think it was. And, I was often into it from there. I sort of enjoyed it. It was uh, the start of a long career in coaching at various levels, uh, assistant coaching and uh, then in the big chair. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. With Brendan McCartney, hope you're enjoying this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Brendan McCartney on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You spoke about those formative steps, Macca, and then coaching beckoned at various levels at AFL level. And uh, I think the first one was at Richmond, was it not? Yep. Where your father had actually played. Yep, that's right. Yeah, it was Jeff Geishan. Plucked me a little bit. Uh, I reached out to Geish um, to help me with some level one course presentation stuff. And then we struck up a friendship, which we still have today. And uh, I loved my time there. I was the reserves coach and development coach. Back then there was Geish, Ross Lyon, myself, Tony Jewell. Gary O'Sullivan was a footy manager and he's still working in footy with the Casey Demons. Wonderful man. Uh, One fitness guy, one weights guy. One part-time doctor, one part-time physio. It was compared to what you have now. I didn't even, I don't even know what 
footy departments consist of. It's probably 30 to 40 full-time people. Uh, but it was, it was good fun. And then to a uh, couple of great years there that I loved, uh, I actually met Bomber after a reserves game at Punt Road. We beat them when we shouldn't have. We had a full-strength listed team in the reserves back then. Uh, he had a lot of under-18 kids they used to use to fill up when you had injuries. And we beat them right on the siren. And I sort of half apologised to him for, you know, we, we shouldn't have won. And we got chatting and then uh, he rang me about a month later and we, we had 11 fantastic years working at Geelong together. and uh, The Bombers with him for a year, the Dogs and Melbourne. So it's sort of, it's a long journey, but it's it's gone quick. Was your time at the Cats as enjoyable as any period that you've had in footy? It was a good, great experience in a working life to be part of a build from the floor up. And for the people there, say when we started in 1999, the club was financially in in real strife. The list uh, wasn't ageing. It was way past uh, where it should be. Salary cap was out of whack. Uh, The facilities were dropping behind what, what it should be. Um, the game style had some issues. There was just a lot of things weren't quite right. and, and it, But it sometimes that's inevitable. And, and clubs are so much better now, they rarely drop off the cliff after successful periods. And the Cats had a, an amazing 10 years before that playing in, in four grand finals. And they're not easy to get to. You know, It's easy to criticise teams when they lose a grand final, but uh, we forget to understand how hard they are to, to get to in this competition. So and then we basically did it with young players, and there was a monumental draft in 1999. Joel Corey, Paul Chapman, Cameron Ling, Corey Enright, Cam Mooney was a trade from North Melbourne. Bomber saw something in him as a young player, and then another massive draft in 2001: Jimmy Bartel, James Kelly, Gary Ablett, and Steve Johnson. So the nucleus of a great team was built or added to, but little did we know that. You know, Scarlett had played three games, Tommy Harley, Hayenfall, Darren Milburn, 30, Stephen King, 50 or 60. He was a little more developed. Wojo had been there for one year and played three or four games. Basically, Bomber was an untried coach, and we were a very young coaching group. Uh, 2006 was a rough year for a variety of reasons, but it probably galvanised the club. And Well, that was the fork in the road. That was the sliding yeah. doors moment, wasn't it? Pretty pretty much, yeah. It, but when I think back now, it, it probably really fortified the place mm. and put a hard edge on us. You know, we were we were really confident we were sitting around a group of phenomenal young players that were just about ready because you could see them have quarters in games or halves where you go, wow, that, this is a seriously talented team. And they were tough. They were hard. And then they reached a time where they – and this is my personal opinion, and I've shared it with a few of them, that they just didn't want to let each other down. So that – that demand of one another came out and we, we found a platform for, to voice their um, happiness or disapproval with each other and they told each other as it was. They told us what they wanted from us. They, uh, they got to a period in their careers and their working lives as footballers where they were clear and had clarity about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. And then they became a team that drove each other and drove the club forward. And had a, But the, the working experience was just brilliant, you know, you're, to be part of a build, help create a build, ride through some rough patches, enjoy it, and then see so many people then go off in different walks of life in footy. We've got people in Sydney, three or four of us in the coaching group, coached our own clubs. Um, there's more senior coaches, a bit like Hawthorne, mm. you know, and great eras. And, and 
they were a group of players that were smart, and and hopefully that was a reflection of us, some good teaching and, and good philosophy that we we shared with them and, and developed in them. And yeah, it was a it was a wonderful experience. It's a great footy club, still a great footy club, and will be for a long time. Is this a stepping stone as you see it at that time to a senior coaching role? Was that something you aspired to? Or did it actually fall in your lap in some ways? In a way, I went to Port Adelaide and spoke to them about the role in 2010. And I, and I thought, look, I'll just go and participate in the process. And um, and the feedback I got was pretty positive. In fact, Mark Hazeman, the CEO, said, well, the only thing we weren't sure about is whether you wanted the job or not. That, that was, we just weren't sure you really wanted the job. And I said, oh, no, I wanted the job. I just didn't want to be a buffhead. And and trumpet myself, you know, I'm confident in what I know and, and what I can do. And, and I, I think I see footy pretty well and, and I can relate to people well and, and coach. Uh, and he said, well, you should have told us that, you know, you should, in your own way, you got it out. And I said, well, that's good feedback for me. So uh, the next opportunity presented itself at the Bulldogs and, and, and it was, I wanted to coach the Bulldogs for some reason because uh, they'd been so close and, and yet, it had eluded them what they wanted for so long, and uh, and I and I felt a, a connection with them. You know, um, living in Geelong, it was that side of Melbourne. Uh, I, I respected them enormously for what they'd done in those three prelims as as a group of players, and their older players were just clearly high quality men. And they were probably looking at a at a solid rebuild. You know, those prelim teams had been decimated with retirement and injury, and so I, I was pretty passionate. And, and, you know, said that I, I really wanted the job. So there was lesson learned from the Port Adelaide feedback. And uh, Does anything prepare you, Macca, all of the time that you're coaching in local footy, assistant coaching at AFL level? Does anything prepare you for what happens when you actually sit in the big chair? Yeah, I think it, it does. A lot of it does. But there's, I think, maybe a third of it. Uh, I don't think anything could prepare you for... Um, it's the biggest challenge... People might say winning and losing is the biggest challenge, but I, the biggest challenge for me was uh, the incessant stream of requests and um, interactions you have. And I'm a people's person. I love people. and But it, it can wear you down is that there's always something in it. It's all the other little things you're thinking about selection. And in hindsight, when I look back, I would have been much better placed to just deal with things one after the other because I think the biggest challenge in that role is that it, it leaves you very little time for reflection and deliberation. Uh, you, you're consistently having to make decisions on the run, knowing there's another meeting coming, another interaction just around the corner. And my biggest learning was, and my advice to young coaches when I talk to them now, is find time to reflect on each conversation you have, each um, meeting you have, each match committee, each pre-training meeting. You know, just had that go. Was I a bit full on? Was I a bit flippant? Do I need to follow that player up? No, that landed. That I'm I'm pretty happy with that, and not overthink it. Just spend twenty or thirty seconds, then move on because that's what the job demands. And that was, I found that the biggest challenge because most of us, when we do take on a senior role, uh, you're not starting at the top of the tree. You you you're picking up the pieces of a bygone era or halfway through a build that it's got a bit rocky, uh, and that's that's the beauty of it. And uh, and that was what I found, you know, we, and we, but we were steadfast. We, as a group, we knew we wanted to build a group of boys that uh, would flourish when the game was red hot. 
So we went looking for those in the draft. We went looking for those in country footy, local footy. They were the behaviours that we really reinforced as best we could. Uh, and eventually that's what they became. And, and they've had, after that premiership, they've had a couple of years out of the, the eight, but they're, they've rebuilt pretty quickly. There's a good footy program there. I, I look back and all the coaches are still there. Uh, Geez, I ran into them the other night at a function. Joel Corey, Kingy, Rowan Smith, Ash Hansen, Daniel Jim, Syracuse, Jordan Russell there, Chris Maple, they're, they're wonderful people and, and they're all still there working. So we got a bit right in that time. You would have loved to have been there, obviously, when it all happened in 2016, but you must have felt part of it, even though you weren't necessarily in the inner sanctum when they held the cup up that day. I don't know if I felt part of it. I think footies, footy clubs are interesting. When you leave, you, you leave. You, it's not like you've got one foot in the door. I think if you're a, uh, a past champion of a club and you've been there for a long time, then maybe, yeah, you, you do have some ownership to a certain point of that program and you'll always be there. But I was there for three years, but I didn't feel, feel part of it, I, but I was really happy for them. I was really happy for Luke. Um, he did a wonderful job and still doing a wonderful job there. The coaches, uh, Murph didn't play, but I felt really proud for him and Boydie and uh, and Chris Grant because it's a really good club full of great people. So it was more a, a sense of happiness for them, you know, and, and then I started to, I remember the day after I went for a walk and I started to think about so many of the great supporters I met that had, you know, live next to the ground because it's suburban ground. It's still based in that area that had spent their whole life linked to the fortunes of Footscray slash Western Bulldogs. So I, I enjoyed going through a list in my head of all the people I'd met and how happy they must be on that day. A brilliant moment for the football club, but for you, it wasn't all brilliant there. When it came to an end, Ryan Griffin's name was obviously mentioned and it will always be mentioned with you. With the benefit of hindsight, Macker, would you do anything differently or do you think you played it the right way and it just, that's the way it evolved? Uh, I think I lost a bit of empathy uh, and, uh, and I think that's not my nature. Uh, I think I lost some patience, which then morphed into losing a bit of compassion at times. Uh, and I probably marked some people harder than others in relation to how they played and the type of player they were. Yeah, I've always had a love and appreciation of competitors and people who crash in and hit bodies and tackle because fundamentally that's 90% of what the game's about and, and it's what great teams are full of. So a, a little bit of that. But I think the impatience was, you know, I should have just went, whoa, whoa, you know, the, we've got some injuries here because when I've looked back over time, we, we lost a lot of close games that year. And history will show you that teams who lose close games the year before generally progress next year. There's enough going right that you're almost winning a game against good teams, but there's one or two gaps. And more often than not, Pete, they're just maturity of people in their position. You know, they're not quite ready to you know nail the wing position or they get dragged out of position as a, a tall back or they get knocked off the ball as a marking forward, and, but another summer in the gym and another summer of craft, they're ready to win those contests. And uh, reflecting back, that's that's where it was at. But, you know, we, when you're a coach or a player and you work in professional sport, you, you're a custodian and you, you're an employee of the president, the board, the committee, the people who make decisions. And Peter and, and the board made decisions and, and 
time will show that they made the right decisions. They brought Luke in and um, they made good list decisions uh, and and won a flag. So you you live with that. And, you know, I'll forever I'm on this great planet, I'll, I'll be proud of the fact that I was seen as good enough and worthy enough by the Western Bulldogs to, to coach their club as a senior coach for three years. And that's a privilege that I'll, that I'll always cherish and respect and, and know that I did my best, probably didn't coach my best in the last two months, but did my very best. And when I look back, I know every decision, absolutely every decision was always made for the best interests of the club. And, and I can vouch for Jason McCartney and Simon Dalrymple and the coaching group and uh, the senior players and, and the board. That, that was what it was always about and that's what it should be about. It has been a remarkable journey and we're just about at the end of our chat Uh, discussing that journey. We've got one more break to come and we'll be back with some final thoughts with Brendan McCartney on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment, topping it off with Brendan McCartney on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Do you still love the game as much as you did when you were that kid in Nia, Macca? So I think when I stepped back in my role at Melbourne, it freed me up to just go and look at footy. and You still pull it apart a bit in your head how it's played, but yeah, I do. I, I, if I drive past a game of footy, I'll often pull in and have a look or you see kids training, you'll stop and watch and... Even sometimes at half time, you see the little kids running around, and you, yeah, he can play, and well, she's good at what she does, and that one needs a bit of confidence. So, I guess the answer is yes. And of course, the game at the top level is a behemoth; it, it's all-consuming. You spoke about how important it is to a town like Naya. Mm. I was coming back from the airport after doing a game interstate a couple of weeks ago, driving past Sunbury, and the ground was packed. There were cars everywhere. And it's at those moments that you realise the importance of football and football and netball in lots of cases to the local community. It's mm. still a very big thing. It's still the glue that holds a lot of towns together. And local communities that's in city areas yeah. as well. Even you know, Some of the junior, junior leagues in Melbourne have got 30 or 40 teams. It's, it's a uh, massive undertaking by uh, people and a... And it's it's generally vo- it's volunteer based, and it's people who give for their own kids and other people's kids, and they're part babysitter, part psychologist, part coach, part father, mother, brother. It's and that's that's what life should be, though. You know, if the the one thing we should be able to do is is give young people an opportunity. That that's and and in this country, I did a talk yesterday for some young people who are starting up their business and trying to get you know, some careers up and running and I urge them that there's nothing you can't do in Australia. We, nothing's stopping us in Australia. There's, we've got the finances, we've got the resources and if you've got some get up and go and enthusiasm and passion, you can, you can have a crack at anything and we're lucky and we, and we should work to preserve that and, and build on it and that's what local footy, netball, basketball does. It doesn't matter what the sport is, it's, it's wonderful. If someone had said all those years ago to that little kid at Nye that you're going to spend your life in footy, I think that little kid probably would have been pretty happy with that journey. Um, most definitely. I've been uh, 
privilege, really. Uh, it's a privilege, and um, there's no one more humble than I to have enjoyed being part of our great game for a long time. It's been good fun. It's been great to share it with you, Maka. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Peter. Fantastic. Brendan McCartney joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you enjoyed the chat. We'll be here same time next week with another great of the game. Hope you can join us then. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.